Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're going to honor the Lord this morning after our worship, and we're going to take communion, which is the, Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. We're supposed to, as a body of believers, gather together, and we're supposed to honor him uh, often, and just to remember what he did for us, and so that's why we have our elements. We uh, take communion every week at Gospel Saving Church, and so you're welcome to join us online on SoundCloud or YouTube. You're welcome to come on in and, and have communion with us while, while you watch this video or while you, you know, all our videos from that point, from a certain point on are going to have communion in them. And so we're going to take the elements. We're going to lift up and remember the Lord Jesus Christ in our communion. So if you guys want to lift your bread up, please. And this bread is the bread that represents the, the body of Jesus Christ. It represents what he did for us, the brokenness of what he did for us, what he came to do for us. And so we got to remember often what he did for us because, you know, the life of a Christian is not easy. It's not easy to walk with the Lord. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to be a follower of Christ. He said, those that want to follow after me, deny themselves, pick up their crosses and follow after me. And so it's not easy to do that. And so what makes it easier is to remember what he did for us because if we just remember the price that he paid for us, if we just remember what he did for us by taking this little cracker, and it's not his real body, but if we just remember what he did for us by taking this cracker, it's easier to suffer. It's easier to, be, it's easier to sacrifice things that you love and things that you enjoy if we remember the sacrifice of what gave us new life and what offers people new life. So if you guys want to take of the cracker, this is the body of Jesus' representation. Eat your cracker. If you guys want to lift up your cup, and this is just grape juice now, or 2014. It's just grape juice. It's not real wine like Jesus had in his day. It's just grape juice. Too hard to keep real wine. Spoils too easy, so we just use grape juice. It's just a representation of what he did for us. It's the blood that was shed on Calvary. Jesus said, this is the blood which I make with mankind in my own, as of my blood of the new covenant. It's, it's the the deal that I make mankind with my own blood. It says, the blood of my new covenant. He said, do this often and remember to me. Every time you drink, think of the blood that was shed on Calvary. The blood that ran down that old rugged cross. For the way that God made a new way to take away the sins of mankind. Only by the blood of the Lamb. Only by blood could there be an atonement for sins. And only by the blood of Jesus Christ now. It's the perfect sacrifice. No more bulls, no more goats, no more rams. It was a perfect sacrifice. A one final perfect sacrifice. And so we're going to honor it now. Take the cup with me and then we're going to pray. Remember what the blood that was shed for you. Join me in a word of prayer, would you please? Thank you so much, Lord, for what you did for us. We can never forget the blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. We never forget the pain and the agony that it cost you to go to that cross and spill that blood on that cross. Jesus, you prayed the night before it was going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, Lord. You didn't want to do it. It hurt you so much. It was so intensely painful. And then, Lord, at that one moment, you were separated from God Almighty for the first time ever 
because of our sins, you came down and you took that upon yourself. So, Lord, we just thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. Thank you so, so very, very, very much. And so we honor you here at Gospel Saving Church and with just taking communion and remembering the sacrifice that you made for us. We love you and we praise you, dear God. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Let's say good morning. We're going to start our service. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Our communion is done. We are about to uh, lift up the Holy Scripture and um, talk about the Bible and read God's Word and, and get studying. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're actually going to uh, start off chapter 13. And uh, I know this is going to be a shock for you guys coming in and maybe you guys sitting here, but we're going to study 23 verses this week. I know that's a shocker. Normally we can get maybe one, maybe, you know, five or six done in, in an hour and maybe 10 minutes or an hour, hour and 10, 15 minutes. Today we're going to actually get 23 verses done in about an hour. Let's see if I can do it. Let's see if I can do it. So uh, we're going to read the text of the section of Scripture. Our, our title for today's section of Scripture for our study today will be, Which Seed Are You? Which Seed Are You? So if you guys want to join me, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 23. We read out of the New King James Version, in case you're wondering online. You can read out of any Bible. Um, there's most I recommend. There's a few that I don't. Uh, but New King James Version is pretty safe, so we're going to read it, and then we're going to get going. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, and answered and he said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Most assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and did not see it, 
and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and cares in the, of this world and the de, uh, deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Praise God. Twenty-three verses. I need to take a sip here for a second. You don't mind? That's a lot of reading. I don't normally read that much. That's a lot of reading. So, you guys ready? Yes. Matthew 13, yeah. 1. We'll open up again. On the same day. Yes, on the same day. Did you get that? Remember what we just had before? We had Jesus coming before this. He was in a house where his mothers and his brothers came. And they wanted to speak to him, and he was teaching his disciples in the house. Before that, he was rebuking some Pharisees and some scribes and some religious leaders because they were telling him that he did his demon possession, that he cast out the man out of the demon back in Matthew chapter 12, and they were accusing him of that. He, he was going on and on and on and on about that. And before that, he had like a week where we don't read anything about it. And so, But he didn't mean he didn't do anything. We just didn't look to other Gospels. My point is, is like I've said before, you know, on the same day, when, when did Jesus rest? When did Jesus relax? When did he ever take a break? We read about him at other times going on top of a mountain and praying all night long, coming back down and getting hit with people. It just, was go it just went on and on and on and on and on. When did we ever hear him take a break? Here he's about to start a whole new section on the same day. And notice it says that he went out and he sat by the sea, so he started teaching them parables. This is just one parable in a section of parables that he's, excuse me, that he's going to go through. So we're actually, this is just one out of the quite a few he, he's, you know, he teaches here. So when did he have a break? It reminds me of what he said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And the response he gave to his disciples in Luke twenty-two twenty-six, 26, they were arguing about which one of us is going to be the greatest. They were arguing amongst themselves, and Jesus hears about it, and he says to them, He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And in case you didn't know about their culture, the older always took precedence over the younger. The younger man always basically honored and reverenced the older child. The older was like the one that was served. The older got all the privileges. The older got all the benefits. He says, he was among you, let him be as the younger. They would have understood that right away. And he who governs as he who serves. So even he would tell Barack Obama, our president here in America, be the greatest servant of all mankind because those that govern as those that serve. Remember, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He lived his earthly life for us. And we can never forget 
all the years that he spent just going, you know, city to city and country to country, seaside to seaside, house to house. He had no rest for three and a half years, really. Not very much so tired that it would, we would record, Bible records that as he'd, he'd travel along in a boat, all of a sudden he'd like fall asleep in the bow while it was all even a storm and he was still sleeping during a storm. Can't sleep during a storm unless you're really, 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 really tired. So I just wanted to open up that. God put that on my heart first thing before we get to our parable, before we get to explanation, because just to remind us how much he served us. We just got to give him praise. And just think, I was having a discussion about this last Sunday. Just think, not only did he come to earth to serve us, but what did he come to earth from? He came to earth from absolute perfection. He lived in the mighty heavens where there was no sin, no disease, no death, no pain, and no suffering. And yet he came to earth to this sinful, corrupted world full of disease, full of pain, full of suffering, and he came for us. Amazing. Christians, as a, as a reminder, what should our response be toward God for, be, for doing that for us? Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren. So this is written to people that would consider themselves Christians, people that believe themselves to be Christians. By the mercies of God, he says, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He didn't say that we serve God to be saved, did he? He said that we serve God because we should consider it our reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And of course, that's toward God. Toward others, the Bible commands us, love God, and then love your neighbor. Jesus said on, on those two things, hang all the law and the prophets. And we can't just love one another and love our neighbor in word. We have, the Bible says love is a verb. We got to love our neighbors. We have to love one another in deed, not just in words. So praise God. We just can't remember what he did for us. Can't remember how much he served us. Can't remember what he came to do for us. And we can't remember that we're supposed to be serving him. We're supposed to be giving our lives as a sacrifice. Paul says in another section, he says, I... I give my life, I, I'm pour, I pour myself out for you like a drink offering. Think of it like that as your service unto God. Pouring your life out, no matter what God wants from you, you should be saying, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll do whatever you want for you, Lord. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord. All right, moving on, moving forward. Verses 1 and 2 is where we'll find our scene. Verses 1 or 2, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him. So that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So our scene here is Jesus is floating on a boat while all his disciples and the multitudes were gathered, and they were on the seashore, and they were watching him. So that was his audience. The multitude stood on the seashore, and they watched him while he stood in a boat, and he bobbed. You know, because that's what you do when you're sitting in a boat. You bob. Boat rocks, and the waves of the sea, they rock on you. So that's what they were looking at. The Greek word for uh, many, because it says that many multitudes were gathered to him, is poly, polis, which means much, many, or large. And then now we have our ochlos, which from last week we learned about multitudes. Uh, that's the Greek word for multitudes. Now we can translate our word uh, ochlos as many multitudes, as a great multitudes, as a throng 
of people. Now we can actually see, now he's out in the open, he's by the sea, and we know that there's many, we know that there's thousands and not just a crowd or not just a casual collection of people because of verse 2. Uh, and, and great multitudes were gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat. So you could think about it like this. So many thousands of people were gathered to him that it was so crowded up on shore he had to get in the boat and he had to, and he had to back up from the, from the beach a little bit and he had to teach him that way. So there were great multitudes that were around him this time. That's our scene. I wanted to make a little uh, correction from last week. I got Somebody pointed out a correction that I had last week when we looked at it. And I had forgotten about one section. Our, actually, our ochlos from last week should have been crowd and not casual collection of people. And you say, well, why, Pastor Ed? Why are you changing? Well, crowd, I forgot about the part that said that his mother and his brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. It was so full in the house. The house was really, really, really full now. Not thousands full, because we can't put thousands in a house. But it was so full that his, when his mother and brothers came, they couldn't get in the house to actually talk to him. So the house was pretty darn full. So I have to change it from casual collection of people to crowd. So if you guys just, you know, just FYI, I made a mistake. I'm not perfect. I'm sorry. You want to go back and listen to that sermon? You'll hear me say ca casual collection of people. I should have said crowd. So praise God. I, I'm, I'm not beyond correction. I'm just a man. I make mistakes sometimes. So now we have our parable. I love this parable. My New King James Version uh, Bible calls this the parable of the sower. I love this parable. This is a parable that I've loved for a long time, more than probably any other parable that Jesus gave. I love this parable so much. Uh, remember in our sermon, Understanding Demons and Demon Possession, a few weeks ago, we got a behind-the-scenes spiritual look at what happens to a demon when it gets cast out of a person. So if you guys remember that sermon, if you don't remember, you can go back and look, Understanding Demons and Demon Possession. But now this week, this parable on the sad side, because on, you know, on that side it was good to see what happened to a demon and kind of what they went through. It was sad to see him come back, that people actually let him back in. But on this note, it's kind of sad because we get a behind-the-scenes spiritual look in this parable at what happens to those who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We actually, in this parable, in the understanding of our parable, we'll get Jesus tell us exactly what happens to the hearts of people that get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8 over and just discuss them just a little bit. I'm going to actually kind of zip through them, actually, believe it or not. I'm not going to... I'm not going to teach too much through verses 3 through 8. So that'll knock out about five or six of our verses. And I'm just going to do a little bit, and then we'll, we'll pick back up in 9 and 10 and start getting more in depth. So verse 3, our parable. He spoke to them many things in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. So you'll see... A consistent theme throughout these, this, the parable part, you'll see the picture of the natural idea of someone going out to plant some seed. That's what a sower is. He plants seed. And you'll see four different kinds of land or soil, and you'll see, and you'll see the seed as a consistent. So just keep that in mind as we're reading through verse 5. Some fell on the stony places where they did not have much earth, 
and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of earth. So first two seeds, we have one seed, the sower is going out and sowing, and some seed falls by the wayside. And immediately comes, and if you think about the wayside, that's where the sower's walking. So there's really, that's hard earth, it's packed down, there's really, you know, really hard for seed to penetrate there. The, as he's walking along, you know, he's packing it, and so as the seed goes down, birds kind of come right away, and they snatch it up. And the second seed, it says here, was sown on stony places, or you could say shallow earth, and then... What happened here is that seed kind of got buried a little bit and then there wasn't, it was kind of a rocky soil. We have that a lot here in Texas where our, our home church is out of McKinney, Texas and our, our soil here is very shallow. You could dig down a, not very much and there's rock underneath it, a lot of bedrock here. So then when the sun comes up, that gets withered away because there was no depth of soil. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. So this sower wasn't a very careful sower. He didn't prepare his, he didn't, he wasn't watching where he was sowing too well, which is, that's what we could say. Of course, the sower should watch where they're sowing, but in this parable, we just see four different ideas of where the seed is sown. This one is sown where the seed is going, and it's being sown among the, th among the tares, among the, among the, the, the weeds. So what's happening is, is the, the seed's growing up, and then so are the weeds, and the weeds are coming in as the, as the, as the, the seed is coming up, as the good plant's coming up, and it's choking it out. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And what does Jesus do? He ends with verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear? Why did he say that statement? Everybody that was there whether the multitudes or the disciples that were close, they all heard the same parable. They all heard the same teaching. But you see, he says this because not everybody understood the deeper spiritual meaning to what he said. That was a parable. See, a parable was something that Jesus gave, but it had a deeper spiritual meaning. And many parables, like this one, as he gave the parable, in the middle, in the mix of the parable, like the parable that he said, you know, that he gave to the uh, Pharisees, a tree known by its fruit. Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and, its, and the fruit bad, a tree is known by its fruit. And then he calls him out, he says, brood of vipers. So he's talking about a tree, but then he immediately relates it to who he's talking to. So it's a parable. It's a parable to make them see a spiritual thing, but then he gives them right away what it's about. A parable is a natural idea, though, generally that he then gives the supernatural spiritual idea of later. So he says here, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, because everybody understood the natural parable, but not everybody understood the supernatural spiritual meaning behind the, uh, what he, the teaching that he, uh, that he just said. Jesus really just said, I told you something deeper. Who really wants to know what I just said? Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? But you say, wait a minute, Pastor Ed. Didn't you just say, didn't you just say that not anybody understood the parable? No, I'll say, and you, and you could test me on it. You might be thinking, wait a minute, I, you're wrong on this one. But nobody understood this parable. I mean, the disciples come, they ask him a question, and it's even a good one. 
why do you talk to them in parables? Because, you know, why did you tell them just the parable part? You, you didn't tell them the answer. What, what, what's, what's going on? But let me understand how nobody understood the deeper spiritual meaning of this parable. See, Matthew records the question, Matthew records the question of the disciples a, a little bit misleadingly. He doesn't really give the question that the disciples came with, uh, really, he doesn't give it justice because the disciples really didn't understand either. Yes, that's right. If we go to Luke 8, verses 9 and 10, we have the same exact parallel parable. We have a parallel passage. We have the same exact parable of the sower in Luke 8, verse 9. Jesus gives that same part of the first parable, except this time we read that the disciples don't come to him and say, why do you speak to them in parables? Because then I think Matthew didn't really record it all because the disciples only remembered what the Holy Spirit allowed them to remember because Luke records the disciples coming and saying, then the disciples asked him saying, what does this parable mean? <coughs> yes, the disciples did not understand the section he, that what he just taught either. It was just straight up. He's like, this is what it is. The physical thing, they would have all been there in Israel. They would have all understood. Absolutely, I understand there's a sower because they lived in an agricultural society. Sower goes on, he's got his bag of seeds. He goes out and he, he starts sowing. And that's what he does. That's what a sower does. And yeah, I can see that, but what do you mean by this? I, I mean, are you meaning something deeper by this than just, you know, a sower? Because we understand that. We got that. But they didn't understand. And he said to them, and you can line up our verse 10 in Luke 8 to our, our verse here uh, in verse 11 in Matthew. And he continues on in Luke and he says, and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. But wait a minute. Verse 11 here, he answered them and said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. I don't understand. It's, it's, it's an identical verse, but um, I'm confused here a little bit. I don't know if you're confused. I, I, I'm, wait a minute. If nobody understood this parable, not even the disciples, which is true, we just read it over with our own eyes in Luke, they came to him and they said, we didn't understand. Can you tell us the understanding of this parable? Why did Jesus say that the understanding had been given to the disciples and not the others? What's going on? Did Jesus confused? Did he forget in Luke that they just asked him, Jesus, can you tell us what this parable means? I don't think so. Jesus doesn't get confused. He's God. He knows everything. Amen? He's God. He knows everything. Um, so why did he say that they had the understanding when they came and asked him for the understanding? It doesn't, let's, let's figure it out. Because you see, these disciples came to Christ after he gave the parable, even though they did not understand, they exercised their faith and asked him to explain it, saying, what does this mean? By their faith, they had that God gave them, because Romans 1 tells us that God delivers to all at birth a measure of faith. Whether, you're, whether you ever become to use that faith to get saved or whether or not God gives everybody, Romans 1 talks about God gives everybody a measure of faith. 
Well, they used their measure of faith and they practiced what Christ Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7, uh, 7 and 8, where Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. You see, God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. If he said you ask and you'll receive, you seek and you'll find, that's what he means. He doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. If God promises you something, you can lay hold of that promise and you can take that promise to the bank. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. These disciples used their faith. They used the teachings of Christ and they said, well, we don't understand either, but we're going to go. He knows. He gave the parable. He must know. And they came and they put Jesus to the test. A good, godly test. One that God said that we could give him. Ask and you shall receive and seek and you shall find. So you see, in Jesus' eyes, the disciples came seeking the answer. Because they did, he already saw them as, I'm going to give it to them. So they've really got it. See, because God sees the things that he's going to give us as we already have them because they're promises that we can come and have. And because they had already got it, he knew what was in his heart. He knew that he was going to give it to them. So praise God. I love the understanding in the word. He will give us understanding if we come to him and we ask, he, we, we shall receive. Amen? Amen? Praise God that we can trust him to do that. But now Matthew gives us a little extra added scripture that Luke didn't. Because, you see, Luke in that section, he ended. He only gave us those two bits, and then he stopped. The Holy Spirit didn't bring us to remembrance what Jesus, all that Jesus said in verses 12 through 17 here in Matthew chapter 13. So we're going to read in uh, Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to see the extra added things that Matthew said according to what he remembered what Jesus said. So let's read verse 12, and I'll kind of explain as we go. So Jesus continues on and he says, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. What is Jesus talking about? Whoever has will have more. Whoever doesn't have, even what they had will be taken away. What, what could Jesus be meaning? In a nutshell, those that have are those that want to have, okay? Our context here is the disciples came. Remember, we have to keep in context. We can't ever forget that word. The disciples came and they wanted understanding. They wanted more. They, those that have, Jesus looked at them because they wanted it, is that they'd had it already because they came to him. Those that have shall have more. Look at how the disciples came for wisdom and how they got wisdom in abundance because they sought the deeper spiritual truth from Christ. See, they asked, they sought, and they knocked. And Jesus gives them that understanding in verses 18 through 23. Those that don't want or don't have will never have, and even what they have will be taken away from them. Well, you say, well, that's not fair. No, it's not. It isn't. It's not fair that God has to suffer them not coming. Because you see, what's unfair is they don't have because they don't want. Why didn't anybody else come back to Jesus 
after the fact like the disciples did to get some more understanding. Nobody knew the understanding of the, what Jesus just said and the deeper spiritual meaning. Everybody knew that the surface of it, but anybody and everybody that ever heard Jesus talk knew that he never just talked about some random things and, oh, look at how nice the weather is. Jesus always gave everything he said. He related it to God and he related it to spiritual matters. So even the people that didn't come, they were just satisfied, just, well, whatever. And you see, those that don't have didn't really want. So I'm not sorry for them. I'm sorry for God because he desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. And even if they would have came, Christ would have given them the spiritual understanding just like he did the disciples that came. They didn't. We, all, we, we not only see that they didn't want to know by their actions and not coming back to Christ, but we read it very clear throughout the rest here, verses 13 through 15. Therefore, Jesus said, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Remember, they could have understood by coming back to Christ. So everything he just said there, they afflicted upon them own selves. They inflicted upon themselves. That was not God's heart that they did that. That was something that they didn't want. They didn't want any more than what they got from Jesus. They just wanted to move on. That was good enough for them. They were probably just looking for a handout. They, like, you know, many times Jesus fed people in the wilderness, 5,000, 7,000. What happened is, you know, Jesus and John calls them out and he says, you know, you don't seek me because of who I really am. You seek me for what I can give you. So really, these people that were here that didn't come back, they just were kind of there. They were like, hey, is he going to give something out today? Who is he going to do some miracle? Who is he going to heal some blind man today? They just kind of wanted to see a one-trick pony or they wanted to have something to eat. Verse 14, so he says to them, because of their hearts that are like this, verse 14, he says, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Think about that. The hearts of this people have grown dull. That's something that they did. And you may be thinking, oh, Pastor Ed, I don't believe that. They can't make their hearts grow dull. Really? I want to challenge you with this, if you may be thinking that. I want to challenge you with this. For your heart to grow dull, for your ears to stop hearing, don't you first need to hear? A deaf man can't stop hearing. He's already deaf. For your heart to grow dull, it has to get there. It has to not be dull at one point. It has to understand at some point, okay? It can't just grow dull if it's already dull, if you're born that way. You can't grow dull if you're born dull. You're dull in the beginning. Their hearts haven't, your hearts grow dull. Your ears lose hearing because you once had understanding. You once had hearing, okay? And their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes, they have closed. Okay, again, their eyes, they have closed. Okay, think about that. Notice they closed their own eyes. Again, this is something that they did to themselves. And again, if you look at that deep, and their eyes, they have closed, you can't close eyes that are already closed. You can only close eyes that are open. So you can see, and now 
I'm shutting my eyes. Now, you could say that I closed my eyes. If I was born without understanding, without my eyes open, then why would he say their eyes they have closed? So it was something that they were doing. They were closing their hearts off toward God. They were closing their eyes and their ears to the understanding of God. It was something that Jesus just said here, even in the prophecy of Isaiah, that they were doing. And a lot of people read this wrong. He says, least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Least they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Notice, since they were closing their eyes and since they were closing their hearts and since they were closing their understandings, that least they, they didn't want to see with their eyes or hear with their ears. They didn't want to understand and they, they didn't want to hear or understand with their hearts and turn. They didn't want God to heal them. They thought, I'm okay. I'm good where I am. I don't need any healing. I'm happy with my religion and don't get in my way. So upon the obvious things that I just talked about, this teaching goes, it goes extremely against a very wrong teaching that we have here in the South called Calvinism. Calvinism, Calvinism teaches that you're born dead. You're born spiritually blind. Well, how can you be born spiritually blind and dead if Jesus said their eyes they have shut? It's something that they did. You can think about that one. That's not the focus of our message today. I just had to throw that in there because I get riled up when I start talking about that stuff. I don't, want, I don't want to blame my God. He's an awesome God and he's a God of love, okay? So their eyes, they are shutting. And then the Bible even backs that up in the same Romans 1 that I just spoke about earlier where we talked about how God gave a measure of faith to everyone and has given a measure of faith to everyone who's been born, whether they'll ever believe or not. Okay, Romans 1.28 backs up what, Jesus, what the prophecy of Isaiah and the thing that Jesus just brought up here. Romans 1.28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, notice that they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, which falls right in line with their closing their eyes, their closing their ears, them closing their hearts, because if you're going to do that, if you really want to do that, if you really want to close your heart off against God, he doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to be saved. But he has no choice. If you're going to do that, he's going to give you over, Romans 1.28, to a debased mind. He's not going to force you because God is a God of love. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a brutal beast. He's a God of love, a complete love and complete light. All this scripture backs up the fact that the masses didn't want to know what the deeper spiritual meaning was. While the disciples that came back cared and they wanted to know, so Jesus gave them the wisdom that they sought after. Again, praise God. If we want wisdom, God will give us wisdom if we really want it. Praise be to God. Jesus closes with letting these disciples know how blessed they really are because they wanted to know. Look at verses 16 and verse 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. I could just hear, if I was there listening to Jesus, I could just hear the excitement in his voice. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, 
for they hear. And look what he says. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it for thousands of years, guys. I wasn't here. I didn't come. But for thousands of years, many righteous men, many prophets wanted to see and hear what you do right now. But I wasn't here, so they couldn't see it. Oh, how blessed you guys really are. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. And blessed are your ears, for they hear. I could just hear the excitement in the voice of Christ as he said that. God is so excited when we just want to seek him. He wants mankind to seek him. The Bible talks about how God is hoping that we grope for him. He's hoping that we look for him. He's hoping that we seek his face. He says, they desire to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Praise God, for he desires to know you, and he desires for you to know him. And why do I say he desires to know you? From Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was telling people they, they weren't going to get into heaven, even though they thought they were because they called him Lord, he said, I never knew you. God wants to know you in an intimate, powerful, amazing way. He already knows you. He formed you in the womb. But he wants to know you like a man would know a woman, like a marriage. Isn't that awesome how God desires that kind of relationship? He does. He's not just happy with knowing, oh, you're such and such, and oh, you're Bob, or, or you're, oh, you're Tom or something. He wants to know you, and he wants to be known by you. And he gets excited if you take that step and you come to do that, and you start to seek him. He gets excited when you do that. Praise be to God. That's awesome. So let's look at the spiritual understanding of this parable of the sower that nobody understood the deeper spiritual meaning of that Jesus gives in uh, 18 through 23. And look at the things that God, and let's look at the things that God wants to show us. Verse 18. We, got, we stop here for just a little bit. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. So we're going to match up the new, we're going to match up the understanding with the parable. So we got an understanding and, and we got a parable. Parable was the physical meaning and the the understanding is the spiritual meaning. What did he teach us first in verse 18? He tells us that there is a sower. Okay? You could just say, well, you know, that's great. Why are we stopping there, Pastor? I really want to understand. I really want to hear. What do you, okay, I understand that there's a sower, but do you realize what that means? There's a sower. A sower is one, I said, as I said earlier, the one that scatters or spreads the seeds. So what kind of seed, though, is this sower spreading, and where does he spread it? I said the ground earlier because in the parable, that's, what, that's where a sower spreads his seed, on the ground. But where does he sow it, and what kind of seed is it? Well, he tells us in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, okay, so the word of the kingdom over the word of God, that's the spiritual seed, and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away from what's sown in his heart. Okay, so we have the soil in every single one of those parables that we just read about the sower and the seed, and the understanding, imagine the soil that the seed fell on is your heart. Hence why I said earlier, this, is the, this parable gives the spiritual behind-the-scenes look at what happens to somebody when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the soil is your heart, and the seed is the word of God, or it's the word of the kingdom. Okay, 
God desires none to perish. Perish. Actually, why I said the gospel of Jesus Christ is because the word of God, the word of the kingdom, the word of God just normally can't save anybody. The Bible says that only by the gospel can somebody get saved. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is what makes that happen. So the word of the kingdom is really the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the sower spreads the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ onto the ground of people's hearts. And how does he do that? How does he go about spreading? See, if we go back to verse 3, then he spoke to many things that I'm in parallel, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. So when we go to verse 3, we know that this sower sows the spiritual gospel of Jesus Christ onto your and my and people's hearts, and he goes out to do it. So the sower sounds like somebody that we've read about in the Bible. So it sounds like a type of person that we read about in the Bible. Who do we think that that sower any, or a sower would be? Okay, listen, are you ready? Who is that sower? Listen carefully. Jesus is telling us first that the sower is a disciple of his, a follower of his, or a true Christian. So true Christian, please listen. Listen to what Jesus just said to you here. He said that you are supposed to go out. Okay, what did he say? We're not supposed to sit in our chairs and expect people to come to us. We're supposed to go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ onto men's and women's and children's hearts as you live. That is a sower. And we know that. We say, well, Pastor, and how can you attain all that from that? Well, we, the Bible to translate the Bible. Jesus tells us in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He was talking to his disciples. He didn't say that to the people that didn't believe. He didn't say that to just some people that were random. He told his disciples, go ye therefore in all the earth and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a command Jesus gives every Christian in Mark, not a suggestion, by the way. And here in this parable, that's how the word of God gets spread. The word of God doesn't get spread by you sitting on your couch or your chair watching TV. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't get sown by you sitting on your computer playing a computer game or you watching a movie or playing basketball. The gospel of Jesus Christ gets spread by you going out as a real Christian and spreading it on to men's hearts as you Openly live an evangelical, gospel-filled lifestyle. That's what Jesus is really saying here. You may be saying to yourself, but what if people reject us and our message to them about Jesus Christ, Pastor Ed? What if people don't want to listen? Well, you, you know, that's easy to say because that's exactly what happens. The Bible says that rejection and persecution come to those who preach Jesus Christ. That's exactly what happens to somebody that preaches Jesus. So you not only can, well, what if? You can say, well, not what if. You can say, well, when I go preach the gospel, people are going to make fun of me. Well, when I go preach the gospel, depending on what country you live in, you could say, well, people could kill me. When you go preach the gospel, you could say, my family's going to stop loving me, or my family might disown me, or those things are something that things that are going to happen, not maybe. They're going to happen depending on where you live. So don't you can stop saying what if, because they will. Isn't the sacrifice of our pride and maybe even our life 
worth what Christ did to deliver us from the fiery flames of hell. And I hope you consider that to be an absolute thumbs up. Uh, absolutely, what is my life? Christ saved me from being a wicked person and He saved me from the fiery pits of hell. So absolutely, and no matter what i got to give up, yes, Jesus, here I am. I'll do whatever you want because I certainly think that He's worth it. You say, but what if they don't accept the message? What if they reject the message of Jesus? What if they just... What if they don't listen? And what if, what if it's just a waste of time? Well, as far as what happens to the gospel of Christ after it gets spread on the hearts of people, well, sad enough to say, that's exactly what happens. It is sad news. The Bible says here that's exactly what Jesus teaches about in this parable. He gives us the parable, but then he gives us the understanding. Verses 18 through 23 is all about what happens to the word of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ after it gets spread on our hearts. So hence the title of the message, Which Seed Are You? Because right now we're going to go through and look at what happens to the gospel that falls into four different kinds of people's hearts. And if you've heard the gospel, I'm going to say this at the end too, if you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, which most everybody in the world has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you lie in one of these four categories that Jesus is about to bring up right here. So the parable explained. Let's go to verse 19. The first type of person. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And this is he who receives seed by the wayside. So we have verse 19 lines up with verse 4 in the parable. And Jesus pretty much says uh, that the first person that heard the gospel didn't understand it. And I'll say by our context of our scripture here, it's not, it's not because it wasn't understandable to understand. They could have understood it. They didn't want to understand it. The person, according to our context here, didn't want to to understand it because we already talked about God's excited when people seek him. <clears throat> God's excited when people come to hear the truth. He's not going to hold back understanding if somebody's really seeking him. God, what does this gospel mean? I just, I don't understand the gospel. I don't understand what you did to me. Would you please show me? Would you please help me? I've never once ever asked God for something and had him not give me the answer. Now, I maybe didn't get it that day. But as I keep seeking, I got the answer. So those here that the, the first seed was sown, they didn't understand because they didn't want to understand. Okay? But the disciples, as I said earlier, the example, they came back, they got the understanding from Jesus. Anybody that wants to understand, God's going to help them to understand. So what happens when they don't want to understand the gospel? Verse 19, Satan comes in. And he snatches the seed or takes the seed away. The definition of the word snatch here is to take quickly or take something with the, when the opportunity arises. So it's good to know, heads up, anybody that's really wanting to know something about Satan today, is he's an opportunist. Satan 
is an opportunist. He looks for those opportunities and he takes them. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So Satan is an opportunist, okay? So the first example of what happens to the seed of the gospel when it is sown on the heart of somebody who doesn't care to know or want to know is it's wasted because the devil comes and eats it up, like in verse 4, that the birds come and they devour them. So Satan comes and snatches them and eats them up and he takes them away. So the first example is a wash. The first example, only out of four, is a wash. We don't, we don't even get a, the person doesn't want to understand. The devil comes right in, takes it away, he obliges him. God says, I have to do it. You didn't want to do it. I gave you over a base mine. God will let you go. It's a wash. One out of four down. Not such a good result, right? I already told you. What do we expect when we go out and sow the gospel of people, gospel of Jesus Christ in people's hearts? It's not so good. First example, not so good. Verse 20, second example. But he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So our connection verse is verse 5. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up. That's our connection. So this next type of person is one who hears the word of God or hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and they get excited about it. They receive it with joy. They get excited about it. We know that I believe anyway that this person gets saved. I've had many people debate with me about that. You may be listening. You may be saying, oh, I don't necessarily agree with that, Pastor Ed. Well, just listen. John 1, 12 says, To as many as received him, to them he became, or gave them the right to become the children of God. So here it says that they received the word with joy. They received the seed with joy. This person has some rocky soil, or, you, or like the Bible says here, a rocky heart, but is excited to hear and is happy, it, like it says in verse 5. And he goes out and he starts, he, he, Jesus tells us that this seed sprang up quickly out of the soil, which means that this seed started to grow fast, according to Jesus. This person got, this person heard the news of Jesus, they received Jesus, and they just, they went around and they, hey, hey boss, listen to what happened. I, I heard this message yesterday, and it was all about Jesus, and he, and I got, and I gave my life to him, and it was exciting, and I started feeling these exciting ways, and I'm so excited, I, can you believe it? Oh my gosh, wow, praise God, I, I don't even know, you know, what to think, I'm just, everything, my head is all spinning, and, it, and it's so awesome. I believe that this person absolutely gets saved and turns his or her heart to Christ because of what Jesus said in John, in John 1, 12. And Jesus also says in John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can it. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And as we see here, this, seed, this person's seed started to grow. Where does that growth come from? We don't make that growth. The seed started to grow, even though their heart wasn't right, 100%. They had a stony heart. The seed starts to grow. And we know by John 15, we don't make the seed grow. We don't make God grow in our hearts. Only God can grow in our hearts. We can't make it happen. His, their seeds started to grow. But unfortunately, this person with their heart was, wasn't 100% right, which you could say they weren't 100% committed they didn't have a correct understanding, maybe. They were a little confused about what they heard. That doesn't mean they didn't come to know Christ. 
Because if we got to know everything about the gospel and we got to know everything about God to get saved, it'd be like you jumping in your car today and saying, okay, I got to know how an internal combustion engine works before I start this car. No, you don't have to do that. You just take the key, you put the key in the car, and you just turn it. How that engine works and under that hood, you have no idea. But you got in, you turned that key, and you started it up. So you don't have to know how a car runs to, to drive a car. Okay? Neither do you have to know all about the gospel of Jesus Christ before you get saved. You just need to know that what Christ did for you and, and with an invitation. That's all you need to know if you really want to know. So unfortunately, his, as his seed was growing until the bad news comes in verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And look at why he only endured for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So his seed was growing. He was loving Christ. He was so excited. He thinks It reminds me of a baby Christian. It reminds me of myself. I was so excited when I first came to know Christ and all I wanted to do was tell everybody about him and just raise him from the rooftops and Jesus is king. Amen. Hallelujah. But then, in this guy's case, his family started to reject him, as did mine. His friends started saying, dude, come on, man. Give up that Jesus stuff. Really? I, I believe. Okay, just, you know what? Don't, just don't talk about him so much, okay? Just lay off of the Jesus business, man. It, that's enough, okay? I, I, I've heard enough. But then, you know, maybe this guy, he just kept going and he kept going. But then, of course, as what happens and the Bible says it would happen is they left. And his family, maybe his family stopped talking to him. Because you know what? He fell in love with Christ and, and now his family don't wanna, doesn't want to talk to him anymore. But unfortunately, he saw this and he thought, oh my gosh, didn't quite know Jesus 100% yet, didn't quite 100% have a full grasp on everything, on how much he was loved. So instead of digging deeper, because again, we know his heart wasn't, wasn't 100% right, <laughs> instead of continuing to seek, he just said, well, man, there's... Too many persecutions, too many, too many problems. And Jesus said here, and because of those things, they stumble. Okay, I believe this person did get saved, but he walks away from Christ and gives up his salvation because he loved his friends and family and even his life more than Jesus Christ. Because I know right now I support this ministry in the Middle East, in Pakistan and Iran and Iraq, and these people come to know Christ and then shortly after, their families and friends, they start giving them death threats. And these churches go and get bombed and people die. And then what happens is, is people end up leaving the church. People end up converting back to their other religions. And they say, man, I didn't know that I could die for this. I didn't know I could die for this Jesus. Man, I didn't know. So they end up walking away. And the result... The second seed, that's why Christ himself says in Matthew 10, 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he tells again, he tells us again, Matthew 13, 13, he says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So the second example of what happens to, to the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ when it's sown in the heart of someone whose heart is not 100% totally right is wasted, unfortunately, because this person doesn't love Christ more than his own life, than his own family, and, that his, and, and than his own friends. They scorned him because of his decision for Christ. 
So they, so, uh, they walked away from him, and then he walks away from his faith, and he says it's not worth it. Unfortunately, this is spiritual death, as we read back to verse 6. When the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root in themselves, they withered away. Well, folks, when a plant withers away, that's not life. That's spiritual death. Okay? So this person walks away from his faith in Christ and dies spiritually and goes back to the world. Verse 22, moving forward. Now he... Uh, now he who receives seed among the thorns, he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. This is also related. You can look back to verse 7 and some seed or some fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. What is Jesus describing here? He's describing a person who received the word of God. And again, Jesus tells us that they start to grow and bear fruit here. You say, well, Pastor, I don't really see that. Where is this person? Where do we see them that they started to grow and they started to bear fruit? Well, if you look to 22 again, just the same thing with the closed eyes and the closed ears. Um, and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word and he becomes unfruitful. Well, folks, you can't become unfruitful unless you first became fruitful in the first place. Somebody that's not bearing any fruit for God can't become unfruitful. They already are unfruitful. So there we read that this person starts bearing fruit for God, but because of the things of the world, he becomes unfruitful. Okay? Uh, again, we have, I believe, again, that this person is somebody that really, truly gives his heart to Christ. He really comes, he hears the word of God, he receives it, John 1, 12. And then Jesus said again, uh, John 15, 4, they can't produce any fruit on their own. This person was producing fruit. This person was a saved man. This person was a saved, born-again Christian. So if someone receives and turns to Christ and surrenders themselves to him, this person will start to produce fruit by, of course, only Jesus Christ can we produce fruit for God's kingdom. But unfortunately, this seed of the word of God over the gospel of Jesus Christ was attacked with the weeds and the tares that were allowed to grow up around it. Well, which Jesus tells us in verse 22 are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of of riches. What happened here? What is Jesus describing? This person gets saved. They start walking with God. They start bearing godly fruit. They start bearing repentance. They start bearing love. They start bearing all these things. But as time goes on, Jesus, remember, he said, those that endure to the end shall be saved. But as time went on, they started worrying about everything in life. They start worrying about everything that's going on around them. All kinds of things. And did you know, guys, I want to tell you something. I heard this a long time ago. Worry is an insult to God. When you worry, you're telling God, I don't think you're big enough to take this problem and handle it. Because I got to worry about it and I got to handle it myself. So when you worry your life away, 
God looks at that like you want control of your life because that's what you're doing. You're taking control of your life. And then what happened is they started to be more that worry was just one little wedge that started driving them away from God because when you're worrying, you're not trusting in God that he's going to work your situation out. What happens after you worry is that little wedge gets in there. Then they start being more focused on and, and started to want to go after all the things of the present age because after all, you know, now that I got to worry, God's not making me happy anymore. Now I got to look for other things to make me satisfied. Now I got to look to other things in this present world, in this present generation to fulfill me. Things of this earthly world like money and cars, drugs, alcohol, TVs, toys, computers, video games, or just about anything that you want and you desire in life, you start going after it. This person starts going after it. They've already been worried. They're not lost their trust in God. Now it's just a downward spiral. Now I just go, what's going to make me happy? I need, oh God, where are you? You I hear so many people say that and God says, I'm right here. Where'd you go? I've been here the whole time. And they started paying more attention to and spending more time in their lives on these things of the earth than on their devotion time and on their relationship time with Jesus Christ, which, tell, which Jesus tells us in verse 22 that those things choked the word that was growing in this person's heart and caused them to be unfruitful. And you may be thinking of that and you may be thinking, well, wait, Pastor Ed, this person, there's no way they've walked away from God. You know, this person was saved, they're saved. Now, I don't even believe your thing anyway. Somebody gets saved and then they can walk away. Well, you read your Bible. Um, but here, what happens to a plant that's forced to grow up among weeds that choke it? Just, you just play that picture out in your mind because Jesus gave picture words so that we could see and understand things. Well, what would happen to you if, think about this, you, you know, you had somebody to disagreement with and you wrapped your hands around their throat and you started choking them and they couldn't get you free and you just kept choking and choking and choking. What's going to happen to that person that you start choking that can't get free? They die. You can't choke somebody for too long before they die. <clears throat> the longer a plant is choked, it dies, of course. Same as a person. Nothing that's being choked out for too long can live. From the spiritual perspective, how God sees it, John 15, 5. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Look at verse 6, ironically. But when the sun, on the same seed of the one that grew up with the tares, but when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root in themselves, they withered away. I'm sorry, verse 7, excuse me. And when sun fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Well, what happens when something gets choked? Again, it withers away, John 15, 5. So the person that gets saved, this person uh, who su truly surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, I believe, they walk with the Lord for a little while, but stress and worry about everything in life and the love of the things of this world draws them away from their walk with Jesus Christ. And they will get choked out and eventually die spiritually and walk away from Christ and God. This is the reason why God tells us in Hebrews 12, 1, that a person walking with God needs to lay aside every weight. There would be your stress. 
lay aside your way and the sin, there's all the things of the world which so easily ensnares us, and that we should run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the writer of Hebrews talks about this same section really in a sense. He says, put away all the things. Put away all the sin and put away all that weight. You get so weighted down with all those worries. You see, spending all your time and going after spending, uh, going, spending all your time going after and spending time for all the things of the world is showing uh, that you love the things of the world. And listen to what James says about loving the things of the world. And uh, J- uh, James chapter 4, verse 5, he says, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? For whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? God's a jealous God. He wants all of you. He doesn't want some of you. First John 2, 15, and, uh, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, there's your things of the flesh again, those are your goodies that you think you got to have that you want to go after, this seed goes after and snatches and takes them away from God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but of the world. Okay, and the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So that's that seed. So, so far, we're three down and no good on three. We only got four. Now, this is of any, anybody. These are examples of anybody and everybody that's heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so far, we ain't got such good seed planting percentage here, do we? So far, we're 75% negative. Verse 23, let's read it. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruits and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. We got it. We finally got a good one. One out of four ain't bad. Not such good odds for the kingdom of heaven. But one, one, hey, one out of four, we got it. There's a shot. There's a chance. We already know by seeds two and three, that was their fault. That wasn't God's fault. That was their fault. So this is also verse eight in our adjoining scripture. This person hears the word of God and understands it. And even if he doesn't understand it, he goes to God like the disciples and he seeks understanding and truth and he asks and he seeks and he knocks. And God, of course, if he asks and seeks and knocks, God gives him that understanding and helps him to seek and shows him things. And what does he do? He bears 30 and 60 and 100 fold good fruit for God's kingdom. What do those things look like when you're bearing good fruit for God? What does it look like a person that's on the path? They're bearing fruits of repentance. They're not living in willful sin. They're bearing fruits of repentance. They're showing love. They love God by their actions. They, they exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, which the Bible tells us is the fruit of the Spirit. They're bearing good fruit for God. Listen, John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So, of course, we know that if we're bearing fruit for God, we're walking with God, we're going to bear fruit. He's going to make it so that we bear more. 
fruit. So as you live and you continue to walk with Christ, you're not just going to stay at one certain point. You're going to keep bearing for you're going to bear more. And your life for Christ is going to be more evident. Your people are going to see even more and more and more and more, more that that guy loves Jesus. And we even see endurance here. You say, but where, Pastor Ed? Well, I'm glad you asked because I just saw it this week too. I never saw this before too. It takes time for any fruit-bearing plant that comes from a seed to produce its fruit. So we even see in the good heart that it takes endurance for that heart to produce that good fruit. In Revelation 2.7, Jesus tells us, He who hasn't here, let him hear. This what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of, gar of the garden of God. So, of course, we see that even in this good seed that he was bearing uh, the, the fruit of endurance because it takes a while for fruit to come on any fruit-bearing plant. So we even see that the good seed, that the good soul had to endure for a little while. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now the person who God considers to have the good heart will have all of those other things happen to them. Persecution, times of stress will come along with the allurement of things in the world. But just like I have and any real Christian that's out there watching YouTube, listening on SoundCloud, you've had all those evil things happen to you. I've had all the things of the world come at me. I've had family members not like me. I've had family members argue with me, tell me I'm wrong. I've had people angry with me, almost want to fight me. I've had all those things happen because I've tried to tell them about Jesus Christ. So all those things have happened to me. Same thing. But the person that continues on the path and bears that endurance and continues on bearing 30, 60, 100 fold good fruit rejects those things and clings to Jesus Christ because their heart realizes, I need God. I can't live without him anymore. I need him. They, do, they decide it's something that God wants, and so God helps them, and of course they want it. They decide to abide in the vine and not go after the things that distract them from Christ Jesus. That is the good seed. We got one out of four. We got it, at least one. In closing, the whole parable that Jesus gave was a great spiritual picture, our behind-the-scenes spiritual look at what happens to someone's heart after they hear the Word of God or the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you today, anybody that's listening from SoundCloud or YouTube, I want to ask you today, that actually the title was actually a, it's a question to you. Did you figure it out? Did you figure it out? As you've been listening to the sermon, did you figure it out? Which seed are you? Because if you're listening from SoundCloud, if you're coming on YouTube, you, if you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, are one of those four seeds that we read about today. Absolutely, Jesus would have given more if there were more. There's only four seeds. Which one are you? It's really easy to figure out which category you fall into first. Have you ever heard the gospel but didn't understand it? And instead of seeking God for the understanding, you just let it go. Eh, whatever, I, you know, I don't care, not worth it. Then you're the first seed that didn't really want to know anyway. So what happened to you? Jesus tells you, Satan comes, he eats up your seed, he takes it away, whatever God sowed in your heart. Notice that God sowed it in your heart anyway, though. You had it. It's there. But Satan came and took it because you didn't care. And God gave you over so that you, you know, you didn't want it anyway. God gave you over to a base mind, just like we read about in Romans 1.18. If that's you and you say, you know what? 
that's me. I'm listening to this sermon. I didn't, I, you know, I, 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 I just didn't care. Well, God cares about you. He sowed it in your heart anyway. And God knows everything. And God knew that at that time you were going to forget about it and you were going to reject it. Well, you know what? If you're listening to this, God's given you another opportunity. God's given you another chance. Come, please come. He loves you so much. He wants you to seek him. He wants to be connected with you and for all your eternity. He wants you to show him that you're interested in him and he'll show you the path. If you just turn to Christ with your whole heart, you start seeking him. He'll open up his word to you. He'll reveal himself to you. God will lead you along the whole path. He wants you to grope. Where's God? I just, I just need him. Where is he? I just need him. And he'll show you the way and he'll bring you to himself as you start to seek him. Because you can't get it there on your own. The Bible says you've got to start seeking and then God draws. God is the one that saved. We can't save ourselves. God gave a high price to save you if that's you today. God gave a high price for you to get saved. He gave his son to die on the cross for your sins so that you didn't have to be accountable for him when you died. That doesn't mean we can live in him, but he said, I want you, my son, just turn to me and I'll forget it all. We'll start a whole new deal. We'll start a whole new life. Come to Christ today if that's you, if you're the first seed. If you're the second seed, which I kind of have a feeling in my audience is over the whole world, I, I would think that my audience is the most part is going to be the second and third seeds as a whole. That's what I would think if that were just me, because that seems to be what I see here in America. Are you the second seed? Have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Turn to him, receive him as your savior. You used to be so excited about knowing him. You spent so much time with him and, and you just wanted to tell people about him. You were so excited and you just started to tell the people about him. You just getting in his word all the time. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I, oh, I love you. Oh, you're my savior. I just want to know more about you. And then as you kept telling people about, you know, your, your newfound faith and, and all your friends started to scorn you. And, and then they started to say, ah, get away from me with that Jesus stuff. I don't want to hear your Jesus stuff anymore. You know what? And get out of here. And maybe you're in a country and you came to Christ at one time and your family threatened to kill you. And you know what? That just, boy, that just puts a downer on the whole thing. Well, that evangelist did. That evangelist came and said, I got your best life now, man. It, this, this, this is it. You've arrived, man. This is peace on earth, dude. This is your life's going to change. You're going to get, you're going to get rich. Everything's going to be great, man. You're never going to get sick ever again. Come on, man. And then you started telling people about this, and they're like, dude, yeah, I did the Jesus thing, man. I'm good. Just back on up, man. Just, just That's enough. And, and then, of course, you started to lose friends. Because, of course, you know, your zeal for Christ drove people away because everybody's not going to love Christ like that. And then you started thinking, man, I lost all my family. My family wants to kill me. My friends don't like me. I got no friends. Oh, man. That evangelist said, this is going to be my best life now. What happened to that? What happened to no more suffering and no more sickness and I'm going to be rich forever? And I don't see that. And then you fell away because you said, I, I can't live this way anymore. I can't live this way anymore. Warning to you, please don't be deceived. This is not bearing godly fruit. You have decided to choose family and friends over Christ. 
you have walked away from Jesus Christ. Matthew 10, 37-39, Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life, or he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. God loves you, but it's, Jesus never promised that it was going to be easy. He never promised anyone that it was going to be easy. It's a hard road, but God loves you and he paid a high price for you. And no matter what anybody did and no matter what anybody did to you, know that Christ loves you and he wants you to know him and he wants you to have fellowship with him despite anything that's happened to you in this life. And he's still calling you out and drawing you to himself even through this message, even through my mouth. So please come, please come back because you're not walking with him now if that's your attitude. Third, have you been walking with Jesus for a time and you've been living for him and serving him and bearing good godly fruit, but as time has gone on, you have started to notice that you're not worrying, that you're, not, you're starting to worry about all kinds of things again, and, and now you're, uh, you're having a problem with your connection to God. You've noticed that the riches or things of this world have started overtaking you, already have maybe overtaken your whole life. In fact, all that you may be doing at this point is focusing on all those things. And Christ, and Christ is important to you, but not quite as important to you as, as it used to be. Or maybe you find yourself using your life, serving all the things of this world instead of serving Jesus Christ. Maybe that's where you are today. One time God was all that mattered to you. But now... Just all the things that you worry about and all the things you just have to have, uh, of course, have taken authority over your life and they consume you. And you've found yourself serving things and not Christ, Jesus, anymore. And you just notice, I'm just, you know, it's just not what it used to be with Jesus. It's just not what it used to be. I, I'm just, it's not the same as when I was, when I was new. It's, I don't even feel a connection to God anymore. And, and, you know, you, you, you don't go to church every week anymore, and now you're just it's random, and, you know, your prayer time. Well, you know, I pray, you know. I... It's time to wake up. It's time to face the facts. Jesus just said here that worrying about everything in life and being consumed with going after the things of the world is choking out your relationship with him. And what happens when something gets choked for too long? We just said it earlier. It dies. Has your relationship with Christ been falling by the wayside lately more and more and more? Jesus is reaching out to you by my mouth and he's calling you back to himself. He's calling you back to repentance and salvation. The love of the things of the world is enmity with God. He's a jealous God and he wants all of you and doesn't want to share you with anyone or with anything. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Folks, if you're loving the things of this world and you're not spending time with God, then you've been walking and your seed is the one that's fallen by, the one with the tares, and you're getting choked out. But you're not going to realize it at first because those those chokes get a little and get a little bit. And then as they go on, they get more and they will get more and they get more and they get more. And then before you know it, you're, you're almost near death. And then it's really just too late. So don't wait to that time. If you're there right now and you realize that's my, that's my seed and I'm, 
I've fallen, you know, into the tears and, and man, what, what am I doing? And I'm going after the things of the world and I'm worrying about all this stuff. Please repent today. God's reaching out to you by my mouth and he says, my son, my daughter, my child, come back to me. Come back to me. I don't want you to get choked out. I don't want you to wither away. I don't want you to die. I want you to have eternal life with me. Turn away from all those things that you do, those evils that take you away from me, and come back to me. I love you. God's calling you back to himself. Praise be to God. Are you the fourth seed? Are you bearing good fruit for God in your life? Has your life been producing 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold good fruit for His kingdom and godliness and holiness? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you bearing good fruit for Jesus Christ? Then I exhort you, keep on going. Keep on going. Keep staying on the path until the day you die. <coughs> the devil's going to try to use all these evils we just learned about today to draw you off the path to pull you off the path off of Christ Jesus. He's going to try to do all that he can to draw you away from himself. Remember, the devil is an opportunist. He looks for any occasion to make you fall to some kind of sin or some kind of worry and to pull you away from Jesus Christ. Remember 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you were saved once, you got saved, and there was no way you could fall away from Christ, then why would Satan come to try to devour you, to try to come and to seek and devour you? And devour means eat. Satan wouldn't try to come and devour you if you were safe and saved all your lives, and you could never, ever, by your own choice, even walk away from God. He's not going to do it like the movie showing him do it, though. He's not going to do it where he comes with a big pitchfork and big forked tongue and big ears on. Sin is smooth. Sin is deceptive. Sin is, sin is sly. And Satan comes in through things that look good and they look alluring and they look attractive. And just come on, just take a little test of this. Just, just come on, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Oh, you're saved. Oh, God, God says all things are good for you. God says all things are, you know, all things are good for you. I'm just, just not edifying for you. I mean, come on, you can, you can just do that one thing. And does that one thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing, leads to another thing. Keep on going, saint. Keep on going. Keep living. Keep walking. Keep fighting the good fight of faith for Christ. And I could tell you, as I've been almost over 14 years, he's worth it all the way. Praise be to God. So which seed are you? Judge yourself before God does when you stand before him. Look at the fruit of your ways. Look at, what, look at your life right now, please. And look at which seed you are. Jesus gave you a pretty good rundown of them here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this message, Lord. Thank you so much for this, this, all this section of scripture, Lord God, that you gave us here today. Lord, we love you so much. And I just pray, Lord God, for all those that are out there, Lord God, that are seeds one, two, or three. Lord God, I just pray that you would wake them up, Lord God. I pray that you show them that they're not safe. Show them that they're not secure in you because they're doing their own thing, Lord God. They're, they're either loving the world or, or they, they've walked away from you because they, did, they wanted to have their friends back or whatever, Lord God. Or they're just going after those things in the world. Or they just simply didn't care. 
Lord, I pray that you would draw those peoples to yourself, Lord Jesus, and I pray that you would win them. I pray that you would woo them back to you, Lord Jesus. I pray, dear God, that even though you had to give them over to a debased mind, that that's happening even in those that are in the tears right now, Lord. You're having to do it because they're choosing that way. Lord, I pray that you would have mercy upon them, dear God, by this message. I pray that they would hear it, Lord, everybody that spoke, everybody that everybody out there that's in one of these categories, Lord God, and I pray that you draw them back to yourself and they'd realize the error of their sinfulness, the error of their ways, and they would come back to you before it's too late and they stand before you one day when you judge them and you say, my son, my daughter, you were going great, but then what happened? What hindered you? But my child, you were, but I had to erase your name from the book of life. Look at all these things that you did. And you have no choice but to send them away. Lord Jesus, go after them now, Lord, please, and give them another chance. Draw them to Christ and save them. And Lord, for those Christians out there that are walking and fighting the good fight of faith, Lord God, I pray that they will continue on, continue loving you, continue serving you, continue following you. God, please, pour out your Holy Spirit upon all earth right now and do these things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.